Hey, what's up, guys? Today's episode, the first of 2020, is with Dave Campbell, who we got introduced to each other through Instagram, and then we did some some coaching together, although he didn't need any. He's he's crushing it. He's got a lot of houses. He self-manages in three different states and has never lived in the same state as all of his rental properties, which is kind of crazy for some of you out there. You know how I feel about property management, but we're going to hear how he does it while still being active duty and how he's achieved so much success. So stay tuned. This episode is awesome, and we filmed it on my couch. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey guys, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310's allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Dave with Military Millionaire, and I'm here with Dave Campbell, and we're going to talk uh, really just about real estate. So Dave and I have known each other for about a year. I mean, we probably talked on Instagram for about 18 months now. Yeah, almost two years. Yep. Yeah, we, mm -hmm. we did some coaching video chat calls. I'd say coaching, but he didn't need any coaching, so it was more just hanging out on uh, video chat about a year ago, and then he we both moved to Pendleton within about a month or two of each other, and uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about his story. So we'll get into why that is here in a minute. But Dave, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. I, I really appreciate it. Honored to be. It's a, the tale of two Daves, right? No, I need to like best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, <laughs> now, thanks for having me on. And, and before we get started, I want to thank you for the the space that you've created here because I think you know real estate podcasts and websites and books are more prevalent than ever, but focused on the military and I would argue although not putting words in your mouth sort of catered towards junior enlisted or NCOs and below I I never knew of a space before you and I think it's so vital I mean the military does a lot of things right Marine Corps does a lot of things right but financial literacy I think is is a gap that we've we've come a long way we've come a long way with the command financial specialists at, at the battalion level and everything, but the spaces you create, I think is very valuable. So, so thank you for what you do. I appreciate it. It means a lot. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to think it was targeted at young Marines. If you're watching this, you're a young Marine or sailor or whatever. Good job. Yeah. It's like, I always joke. I'm like, that's who I want to find, but they're not looking for me. It's the, you know, it's like, <laughs> this, like, how do I get in front of them? I need the, the, if you guys see it here in the future, I'm debating it. But what I need is a Ferrari with, you know, like rent a Ferrari, <laughs> rent some local models, get like an AK and just like drive up to an Airbnb mansion and be like, this is what it looks like if you're a staff sergeant, <laughs> but you do real estate. And when I was a corporal, I lived in a cardboard box. And, you know, that's what all the gurus do. Right? Yeah, so. right, right. That'll It's very clickbaity, but that'll uh, that'll get you some attention for sure. Oh, man. So tell the uh, audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So um, Dave Campbell, been in the Marines uh, about 11 years now, 
And uh, my, my financial, I'm sorry, my real estate journey started pretty early on um, in my Marine Corps career. Never had an interest in real estate. It was one of those that from knee high to a pig's eye knew I wanted to be a Marine and, and that was it. When I commissioned, um, my, my mother had been pushing, pushing real estate pretty hard, same, basically from a standpoint of kind of like early, early, early house hacking, just going, hey, you're, you're a lieutenant, you're single, you're probably gonna be living alone when you get to your first duty station after you know, MOS school. Why don't you buy a house? Once you find out where you're going, why don't you buy a house and, uh, and rent out the rooms? So I didn't do that. Um, and then, but that got the wheels turning about real estate and then sort of the, the prophetic, if you will, uh, conversation I had was with one of my uncles a couple years after being a Marine and he basically, he was uh, dating a realtor at the time, basically said, hey, have you ever thought about real estate? Nah, not, you know, not so much. I'm kind of just more worried about being a Marine and doing good at my job. <clears throat> well, his stance was, hey, listen, are we doing all right? I second guess myself that I turned on the recording. Oh, okay. Oh, we're good. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he basically said, well, listen, you're, you're making good money. You're living well below your means. And if you really want to push yourself to the next socioeconomic level, listen, you're, you're not building rockets. You're not going to cure cancer. This is a vehicle that you guys like you and I can get into. Um, the, the barrier to entry doesn't require a, you know, any requisite skills that are outside the scope of, of what you can do. So why don't you do it? And, and so I finally did it. Actually, I was going through a workup for my second deployment when I bought my first property in 2011. And I've been on the, the slow moving train ever since then over the past eight years. So it's kind of been a eight year journey till now. Um, and currently have eight doors in three different states. And uh, yeah, and we're just doing it, uh, doing it kind of low and slow, if you will, because I know that I'm going to have, I'm going to retire as a Marine. So I'm not doing this to work my way out of a job but I am doing it to um, not have to work past 20 years and just do the 20 and retire. And so got about a nine or 10 year span to get all the remaining puzzle pieces in place before we, before we retire, so. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I wish I'd learned about real, well, I, you know, started in real estate sooner. Uh, yeah. It's 2011, I know you were already, right? Mm -hmm. that, yeah. So. You said second. Were you out in Afghanistan in 2010? So 2010, I went on a mew. Oh, okay, okay. And then... Uh, so I was out there in 2010. It would have been kind of funny. If oh, I yeah, yeah. Cross paths. <laughs> no, no, so yeah, Afghanistan. First Afghanistan deployment was, was 2011. So I was going okay. through a workup for that. Mm -hmm. Right on. Cool. So the reason that I find your story unique is the fact that you, and we're, we're going to get into this, is three different states, eight different doors, but you still manage all of them yourself. And you said you've never had more than a two-week vacancy period? In eight years. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's super crazy. Because for me, I don't manage anything. It's all, you know, and that was an, an immediate decision when I moved out of state. Was I don't want to deal with this. Not because it was a pain, but because I just didn't want to have to worry about it. Um, and I've had two-week vacancies, you know, periodically. Not crazy, but like <clears throat> if I had one... If I had something open up right now over Christmas, I'd be screwed until mid-January. <laughs> There'd just be no way I wouldn't be able to get anyone out there for turnovers or anything. Um, and so for me to be able to see that you are that successful, you know, I guess the question would just be, what is it that you do that to help manage that? Because I know a lot of people aren't, like they want to self-manage to save money, but they're like, oh, there's no way I could do that. And clearly you could. Yeah, so one clarification, the, the four unit in Texas I actually do have a property manager oh. for. Um, with because of some unique unique circumstances which we can we can get into the um, finer details of but if it if it weren't for those uh, those details uh, which we can get into I, I would self-manage those there's a tipping point for everybody I think that eventually I would have got to the, a number of units that I wouldn't have been able to sustain but yeah so I have properties in California North Carolina and and Texas and the ones in California and North Carolina, uh, I've managed myself the whole time from across the country, depending on what duty yeah. station I'm at. 
And I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily have anything against property management companies because there are diamonds in the rough like yours yeah. that are worth literally worth their weight in gold. Oh, she's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, the stories that you tell are just mind blowing. Why can't you know? My thing is, if if there were more like her, I would all my properties would be under property management. But I've found that that's not the case. No. So when the when the average property management company is charging roughly 10% uh, of your rent per month, they, if you do the math, they rely on volume to make a profit. If a property management company has t 10 doors that they manage at a hundred, you know, thousand dollar rent, so a hundred dollars, so they're making a thousand dollars a month, you can't run a, a profitable business. So through no fault of their own, just, just the landscape of the, of the, the company, they have to have three, four, 500 units or whatever the case may be, depending on where you're at. Well, your unit then becomes just, just one of the units. And it's not, I don't think they're, you know, malicious. I think they do care, but I don't think anyone's going to care about your property more than you do. And I realized that at a very early, you know, age in real estate, if you will. So I said, why, why can't, why can't I do this? Right? What do I need? Well, I have to have a team set up. And a lot of this, I started formulating that coincides right on with, with David Green's book, yep. but, uh, but prior to it coming out, you got to have a team in place. I didn't know about a core four. I just knew that if I was going to do this successfully, I needed to have people in different vocations who were reliable, whom I could call to fix a problem and not have to have me be on site for it. In fact, I'd be 3000 miles away. Once, once you get your team in place, either by doing work with them and finding out which companies are good and which are not, or by recommendations, then you have your team in place. Then the only real thing that you can't take care of by, by being, by not being there is an initial walkthrough once you have a tenant and then also walkthroughs with prospective tenants. So to accomplish that task, I just have individuals, friends, uh, Marines, not all of them buy my rental properties that, that are geographically near my rental properties. And when a property goes vacant and we can get into the, the two weeks vacancy, but once I get a list of prospective tenants, I call, you know, Hey Dave, would you mind, uh, you know, in North Carolina, would you mind walking through this, this rental property with this prospective tenant? Once they, we go through however many, four or five, the uh you know my buddy will call me and say okay you know this is the feedback i'm getting from these people these ones look good whomever signs the lease then that same friend will go back and do the the, the move-in inspection have the move-in move-out inspection form with them and then fast forward a year or however long the tenancy is uh we'll, we'll do the subsequent move out inspection with them um yeah so two weeks two week vacancy in, in eight years um I market the the crap out of my properties. Uh, there's there's no surprises when I know uh, a property is going to go vacant. Yeah. Tenants are very good about. Of course, they're you know they're mandated the one month, but I'm, maybe you've had the same experience. If you call them, text them three months in advance, say hey Dave, or you know you got three more months on your lease. What's the general feeling? You, you're going to get a 75% solution. Like, Oh, I'm definitely staying. This is, I love this place. I understand you're going to raise rent or not, or nope, you know, I'm, I'm, e I'm PCSing. So I'm going to be out of here. Well, okay. So you have a three month window to prepare this thing. Um, what websites like Zillow will allow you to save your listing and just deactivate it. So as long as you do one really good listing, you have a good word picture, good photographs, hire on a real estate, spend the money, hire on a real estate photographer. Don't do it yourself. Pay the two to $300 or whatever they charge in, in your area. And those, those photos are yours forever. Much like, you know, wedding photos or whatever the case may be. You design a really good listing and then you do essentially a copy and paste across as many different mediums as you can imagine. So, the big hitters, Realtor.com, Zillow, Redfin, if it's in your area, 
Hot Pads, Trulia, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist. Um, yeah, the list goes on and on. And then word of mouth on your own social media. And you're going to get feedback. <clears throat> and then I would say, correspondingly, what helps fill vacancies fast for me is I am the most, I like to think I'm the fastest and most responsive person when people reach out to me. I always have my email and my phone number. And as soon as an email pops up or a, a text message pops up on that, on the business line, I, I try to respond immediately. Cause like we were talking about before, when you were looking for this place, you, this place was one of 50. Yeah. Largely what'll set you apart from the pack is if you respond first. Well, and this lady, like literally we're standing around the table. She's like, I got three people coming by this afternoon looking at it. And I was like, great, I'll take it right now. Exactly. So when someone, hey, I'm, I'm interested in your property, I realize I'm not the only person they're reaching out to. So I'm like, immediately, no matter what I'm doing, you know, all things being considered, work and stuff, I'll drop what I'm doing and I'll respond. And I don't know how many times they're like, hey, you're the first one to get back to me. Thanks. And starts that conversation. I start to stiff out, you know, stiff arm the competition and then all of a sudden you're the one that, that they want to move in with. They know they're going to have a good relationship, a good communication corridor with the landlord, which is important with tenants. And so that's how I've been able to largely self-manage. I mean, having a team, yeah. having a couple people that you trust that can actually do the few tasks that you have to be on site to do. And then you just have to have systems in place, right? 2019, you should be able to have a way to collect rent, uh, communicate with your tenants through through a professional business type medium, whatever that looks like, uh, and then monitor the the progress of all your your tenants, whether that be through a, a platform or an Excel spreadsheet or or whatever the case may be. So, and then just finally, the only reason why one of the only reasons why I have a property management company in Texas is there's a few. Um, I don't know geographical nuances. One is uh, there's a, a lot of the rent is done in cash. So that's tough. Yeah. And uh, based on based on where we where we bought, um, there has to be a strong command of of Spanish on day to day interaction. And it's not that I'm uncomfortable with it. But what I don't want to have happen is something get lost, literally lost in translation. And then there's there, we're on way different wavelengths. Yeah. So for those reasons, you know, I, I went with a property management company, which I'm which I'm, I'm happy with. So. I think that makes sense if you're not 100% fluent in the language. It, you know, it's funny on that, uh, I was on the phone with my uncle yesterday and he actually said, and he, he has taught himself Spanish because in his market in South Carolina, he said, you know, I have, he's like, say I have 20 units and I have, he's like, right now I have 20 filled and, and 17 are Latino families and three are, you know, Caucasian families. And I have three that didn't pay rent I'll tell you, they didn't speak Spanish. Hmm. So, and so he was saying in his area, he's like, I try. And he's, I mean, as white as they come, he's like, I try as hard as I can to find Latino tenants because they're, they pay their rent and they're sure. way nicer to my property. And he's like, and I taught myself Spanish because of that, because he self-manages, he lives there. And I was like, that's. And that was in South, that's in South Carolina. Yeah, like, that's wow. Kind of, that's kind of wild. I would have never thought about like that being the motivation between learning a language, but makes perfect sense when you've got 20 units and they're all you know, yeah. Spanish speaking tenants. And when it's, when it's, if it's conversational Spanish, you, you can get by, but when you're, when you're dealing with, with a business, right, you, you, you don't want, you got to get a fluent, someone who's that's, you know, that's their primary language because, or, or they have just a hundred percent fluency level as their second language, because you're dealing with leases, you're dealing with contracts, you know, a lot of the, the leases that, that I have in the Texas property, they're all written in Spanish. And so you, you, I won't, I'm not going to be translating that right. Or interpreting that. I want to make sure that that is a legally binding document, even though it's not in English, you know? Yeah, that's valid because even if they agree to everything and even if the words were right, theoretically, if, they don't understand what you're saying or you don't understand what they're saying. It could be a loophole. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That's wild. So, all right. So you've been property buying properties throughout and successfully, but do you, do you have a, I guess I would ask like, you know, I guess we could dig into why you went with Texas because I, I understand why you bought in San Diego mm -hmm. and I understand why you bought in North Carolina because you lived in both locations, but you know, what made you decide? Cause Texas is 
probably your first true like completely out of state purchase had you even did you even go to uh, yeah I never even went there one, yeah cool. yeah no that interesting um i got turned on to the to the market by my best friend whose wife was from is from that area okay and he you know known him forever he knew i was into real estate i'm into real estate and he said hey have you have you ever checked out this area in texas i don't know too much about it other than my wife's from here i visited and it seems like there's good deals on multifamily properties. So I said, okay, let me start doing some cursory research. So you know how it goes, you hop on Zillow and I just started looking in this area. And so that's what got me turned on to the market. Uh, and I had to come to terms with really practicing what I preach in that 2019, 2018 at the time, you don't need to be on site or, or I would even venture to say intimately familiar with an area in order to buy there. This isn't the 1950s and 60s anymore. There's just so much technology that I wouldn't say would, I would say mitigates a lot of risk. And so I did very rule of thumb cursory research on the area, 1% rule type yeah. stuff. The gross numbers, the unrefined numbers at face value looked good so much so that i thought okay now i can start I, I hadn't even run them through bigger pockets rental property calculator i was just doing you know back of a napkin type math <clears throat> then i started going in towards that second level of research and and figuring out okay let's try to get as close to real numbers as possible with this and once i found that i thought that that was going to be fruitful then i took the step of finding a local agent and one that had experience dealing with investors because that's a different type of agent than someone that doesn't as we've spoken about and and so it went down the line I've, I've never visited it all the visits that my realtor did we were on FaceTime and so I just made sure that at that designated time where he was going through that I had available Aussie Lan Chow whatever the case may be to be able to take the call and then ask questions as he's walking through every room. Uh, and so that that's how it was, you know, largely through just a conversation with the buddy turned me on. And that's happened before where people will say, hey, have you checked out this market? Have you checked out this market? And I always will, because it's such a big nation. Yeah. Most of the time what happens is for one reason or another, you find that that, that market won't work for, for, for you, what you want to do. And I didn't find those those no's, those red flags in the Texas market, which has led me all the way through and eventually purchasing a, a fourplex. So that's cool. Yeah. I like that you mentioned the like people send you stuff and you just kind of like, oh, we'll look at it and see. Because I tell people all the time, it's one of the big questions I get, uh, you know, because obviously military guys, everyone's spread out all over the dang place. I got people that, talking to me from Japan. I was on the phone with someone in Kuwait this week. I, you know, it's it's crazy. And uh, they all ask about market, 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 market. That's like the first thing. That is the biggest hangup. People say not having money is a huge hangup, but people can find the answer to that. Market is where people get, I swear, more analysis paralysis on finding what neighborhood or what city to invest in. And it drives me nuts because I tell people all the time, like, okay, look, and, and I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty blunt about this, but it's like, all right, so let me get this straight. You narrowed down, you looked at the US and you narrowed it down to a couple states and then you narrowed it down a little bit more and you're at five or 10 cities like, yeah, and you can't pick one. Like, no. Okay. Narrow it down to five. All right. Got it. Okay. Now what? Throw a fucking dart at the wall. And they're like, huh? Like <laughs> you picked five but, cities out of the entire nation. They're all fine. Stop worrying about it. Like, absolutely. You want me to pick? I'll throw a dart at the wall for you. And uh, so I love that you're like, yeah, I'll look at them. Oh, this one looks good. Yeah. Let's buy a house. Cause it proves that when we went out the other night, um, me, you and John, and John was talking about his markets in uh, Louisiana. I don't. I can name two or three cities in Louisiana, none of which were his. And I just wrote it down on an Apple note to check out later. I mean, just you know, see what he's getting into. You know, that's. I'm born and raised Southern California, and I've bounced around from the military. But still, as far as how big the nation is, it's it's, it's you know completely foreign to me in different areas, and so. It's largely through conversation, reading a lot on bigger pockets, and then just go check it out. But you're absolutely right. 
you're never, if you're going to wait for the hundred percent solution, you're never going to do it. You're just never going to do it. You have to, eventually you have to pull the trigger. And as long as, as long as you know, the, the precursors are, are there and it makes sense, move forward. And, and if the math makes sense, then that should, that should be an indica good indication that you need to take it to the next step, whatever that looks like for you. Absolutely. So what's the, what's the plan for the next nine years until you retire? Yeah. So we're, we're easy. We're buy and hold. We're long-term buy and hold. And like I was telling you, you know, if, if you view real estate as a freeway, you have different off-ramps. And, and once you get off an off-ramp, it, it obviously splits into surface streets. But we got off on long-term buy and holds and started really exploring those, those surface streets. And I've never gotten off another exit. Um, I couldn't tell you the first thing, quite honestly, about wholesaling, fix and flips, Airbnb and the, the litany of other areas that you can you can uh, delve into in real estate. Our our plan is properties that have good monthly cash flow that we can buy and hold for an extended period of time. We don't have a specific number in mind, but we would largely want to defer to more net profit per unit by some more doors yeah. and I get it. People will say, well, then you have less doors when you go to sell, but what if you never go to sell? Right. I say never, but so in the next nine years, <clears throat> we want to make sure that we will have at least as much net cash flow in total to take the place of the 50% pay cut we're going to take in retirement. So military retirement, for those that are unaware, the legacy, not the new blended retirement, 2.5% accrual times however many years you've served, no less than 20. So once you get to 20 years, you're looking at 50%. Well, so that's, a, that's your paycheck cut in half and then a little bit even more so if all things considered BAH and everything like that. So we want to make sure that at the very least we're able to recoup that loss or, or, or supplement our income to, to make up for that so that, that we won't necessarily have too much of a degradation in, in quality of life. And our projections are right now that, that we're more than going to meet that. And if we get to the 20 years and the answer is yes, we're able to, to, to supplement that, that, that income and take on that loss, then that's, that's when, you know, I hang up, hang up the boots as they say, and, and move on. So we're going to spend the next nine years making sure that we get good properties that have good monthly cash flow, net cash flow, and um, don't require, a, don't have a lot of deferred maintenance and that are rentable in rentable areas and in good markets, wherever that is around the country and, and just hold on to those things for the long term. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I definitely have been like every off-ramp you can take uh, but part of that's just because I'm dabbling so I can learn more about random stuff you know I wouldn't be airbnb if I didn't want to learn about yeah, it. yeah you have a business you have a business <laughs> and you need to be able to speak to at least in a very general way about a lot of these different areas because you attract people from all walks of life I don't I don't have the the business it's just, just me so um, I, there's really no I found what worked and I'm a, I'm a blocking and tackling guy and for for me it for me, it was as simple as if my gross rent minus PITI and minus the big three reserves, capital expenditures, repairs and maintenance and vacancy, if that's still left over a pretty good chunk of, of net cash flow, we buy or attempt to buy. That that's simple. So what's your, you know, what's your algorithm or what's it? No, it's it's you got to be able to nail down what you can rent it for. And you've spoken on rentometer and a few other things. You have to be able to be relatively certain of what you can rent it for. And then you have to be able to be relatively certain of what your principal interest taxes and insurance are going to be, which you can get nowadays, pretty much a hundred percent certainty. Well, PI, you just put it in a mortgage calculator and then TI look at local rates online as far as the uh, taxes and then insurance get a quote. So you get those, you get your, what you're going to rent it for, subtract the PITI, subtract however many percentage points you're putting in for each of the big three reserves. 
see what spits out. If you're comfortable with that, then you have yourself a prospective property. Yeah, buy and holds is definitely my my favorite play. Uh, you know, whether it's single, duplex, ten unit, whatever. Um, and I, I mean, it is. People get so confused and so bent up about it, but it's as simple as just like, okay, what's it going to make every month? Minus mortgage, minus interest, minus taxes, minus insurance, minus you know budget for roof, whatever. Oh, two hundred dollars. Well, if I'm only putting two thousand dollars in, that's a great return. Absolutely. If I'm putting eighty thousand dollars in, that's not so great a return. You know, depending on what your goals are. Right? Sure. So, um, yeah, I think it's so much simpler than people. I love that we can dumb this down to Marine Corps levels because it really is like math for Marines is all you need to buy houses. That's that's the only reason I was able to get into it. <laughs> I mean, when I was when I got on the super highway of real estate and was seeing where where I want what exit I wanted to get off on long-term buy and holds was really honestly just the easiest thing for me to understand fix and flip to me required a lot more requisite knowledge at least as far as dealing with contractors things like that and long-term buy and holds as i was fiddling through the different areas of real estate i thought i'm gonna settle on this because i understand it like you said in, in, in quite a few podcasts you know you're never you're, you you will never invest in anything that you that someone can't explain to you in in, in a manner in which you understand that was the reason I went with long-term buy and holds. I was in a financial position, which I, I liked, loved the Marine Corps, loved being a Marine. So I wasn't trying to work my way out of a job. Um, and nor did I need the, need the supplemental income from real estate to subsist. And so it just, it just made sense. Math for Marines. It, it, was, it was pluses and minuses. See what comes out at the very end. If you're comfortable with that as a family, move forward, make an offer, easy. And then roll that money back in. Exactly that's, right. That's where people get screwed. They, Ooh, I made five hundred dollars this month, and and then you blow it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where where I'm at right now, trying to pay off not pay off debt, but pay off my house flip that's taken four months longer than it was supposed to be because I'm trying to learn that, and I should have just bought a buy and hold. But it's gonna end up being a burr strategy because, like I said, by the time it's done, now I'm seasoned. I'm <laughs> yeah. so. You've had more adversity. This year has been wild. It, well, no, just in, in the whole in the whole spectrum of your investing career, you've had more adversity, I think, in, in a few years than most real estate investors will see in a 20-year span. I'm serious. Self-inflicted. We'll just say it's because I'm Motor T, and those of you who understand <laughs> the requirements for Motor T, except, ironically, I'm actually way higher up on the pedestal than most of the enlistment requirements for Motor T, but maybe it's just that's my peer group, so... <laughs> I love you guys. We're truck drivers. We're not anyway. Um, yeah, it's been a, a good couple of years. You can, like I was saying, when we met up at the the Hawaiian place, you could write a book on just the adversity <laughs> that you dealt with and and had to overcome but, that. But but still went up in net in in net worth over the last year. And so there you still go. Still building cash flow. That's crazy. Still doing better than I was four years ago. So yeah, you're, you're operating in second gear because, because of all that's going on, the, the legal stuff and everything. Imagine once that stuff, you're free and clear of that stuff, you're going to take off fifth gear, fifth gear taking off like a rocket. Absolutely. I can't Great. wait to see it. Yeah. Great. All right. So what advice would you give to a young Marine who's looking at investing in real estate? Great question. I love this. And it will be simply take action. Real estate is big and scary, and I get that. You have to take action. Take your apprehension with investing into real estate and give it a name. You're gonna be apprehensive. But why though? Why are you apprehensive? Is it because you're dealing with the biggest purchase of your entire life? Is it because you don't know what you're doing, give it a name. And once you give it a name, you can deconstruct where that anxiety or apprehension is coming from. And you can, you can eat that elephant one, one bite at a time. So in, I really, really like uh, bigger pockets podcast episode 276. And uh, the guy who was on there, it was Bryce Stewart. And he was talking about vacuum the freaking truck. That was, that was kind of the tagline. And the story that he told was, he bought a truck and he realized that the payments were sort of outside what he wanted to pay and he wasn't utilizing it for what a truck should be used for. So he wanted to get rid of it, but he had a loan on it. 
and he didn't know how to sell a truck with a loan on it. And because, just because of that, he sat there for months. This is him saying it, right? I'm just regurgitating and did nothing until finally he realized, well, I don't know how to sell a truck with the loan on it, but I know how to vacuum my truck and that's free. So he piecemealed it, right? So long story short, he went with what he knew he could do. And then eventually he was eating that elephant one bite at a time and he sold the truck with the loan on it. So it was this big, scary thing. How do I sell a truck when I don't necessarily own it because I have a loan on it? Well, let's start at something you do know how to do. So for those young enlisted Marines, sailors, airmen, soldiers, you don't know how to be a real estate investor. Do you know how to go on real estate websites and look at what houses cost? Sure. Go on Zillow.com and just punch in an area that you think you'd want to buy. Do you know what a loan, what it takes to get a loan? Maybe not. So can you look up pre-approval process on Google, you know, and just piecemeal it, but you must take action. If you don't take action, you're just, you're never going to get there. And then the second thing I would say is stop worrying so much about your offense and play good defense. Mm. When I speak about financial fitness to my Marines, cause steel sharpens steel. I want to teach my young Marines about being financially independent and just spending less than they earn. They say, well, I don't make that much money. Ergo, I'm never gonna be able to get ahead. To which I reply, I get, I get it at face value how you think that makes sense. But let's go a, a level deeper. You're living in the barracks. Your meals are paid for. Now, Garen, I get it. You're, you're getting taxed, whatever the case may be, but you have a meal card. Yes, you're only taking home X a month. I got that. But there should be no reason why you can't bank 80% of that. And 80% of, of what your take home is, if you're saving that, you're saving a lot more than a lot of people that are making a lot more than you. Yeah. So it's not that you have an offensive problem. You have bad defense. You are going out the 16th and the second and spending it on women what, right whatever what, i'll say it i did it tattoos. Yeah, take your pick I'll, I'll let you say it take your pick and they're done that but if you if you use if you use that time from e1 to e5 ish whatever the case may be you can bank so much money and you can set yourself up for long-term success so it'd be those two things it would be take action take action and and give and you know a little subsection of that is to give your apprehension a name identify what's actually making you apprehensive. And then secondly, stop worrying so much about your offense and worry about playing good defense. Your, your offense will increase. Get your PME done, get your photo taken, have good pros and cons. And, and, and when you're an NCO, get good fit reps, your offense will increase. Well, even if you don't do that, you get a pay raise every other day. There you go, yeah, good point. Especially, yeah, good point. But play good defense, you have to play good defense. And I would argue that playing good defense in the beginning you're, you're creating a mindset and a pattern that as the offense starts to take off, you still have that, that good mentality and you're just going to be largely successful. Yeah. I just did a video about the downside and it, it, it blows my mind. Like people never think about it because, and I say the same thing. It's, it's seldom your income that's the problem. It's usually your expenses. I get into arguments with people on Facebook and places about this all the time because I'll post something on like Marine Corps staff NCOs and people will just be like, Rah! and I'm like, you know, it just gets old after a while. Like, Oh my gosh, you're so negative. Like first off, you're reading your personal statement of military compensation incorrectly and you're only counting your W2 income. So you're an idiot. But, uh, so there's a lot more to it than that. But, um, I did it on downside risk. And the point of it being like, if you have a hundred dollars, you take a 50% hit, you have 50 bucks. But if you then turn around and get a 50% you know, increase, it doesn't go back to a hundred. Mm -hmm. It takes, I forget what it was, a hundred percent increase to go back to a hundred. Whereas if you have a hundred bucks, you gain 50 bucks and then, or 50%, you go up to 150 and it gets hit by 50%, you're still down to 75. So the downside will always hurt you more than the upside will benefit you percentage wise. Right. And people don't focus on that. And the other thing is, especially in real estate, and people think about, oh, I can raise the rent a hundred bucks. That's great. But when that tenant moves out and your expenses are still 
800 bucks and you bumped it from 1000 to 1100 like tenant moves out you're out 800 bucks but if instead you leave your income the same and you drop your expenses 100 bucks and the tenant moves out you're only out 700 so your bottom line uh, there is you go. better absolutely but you can do both it's just the expenses once you fix that and, and micromanage that not micromanage but you know as much as possible your expenses will always stay down there absolutely so like people don't think about that there's a lot of marines that the, the ones that do it right you hear that you know since they're they're gunnies they're mass sergeants whatever the case may be and they say that they're still living like they did as a sergeant so or, or whatever pick your rank but the, the philosophy is they had a standard of living that they were able to provide for their families and go out and do fun stuff occasionally but but live well within their means and as they kept getting increased in pay, either naturally, like I just saw the article that you that you uh, forwarded about the possible 3.1% increase, yeah. or by promotion, they didn't need to correspondingly up their standard of living because they were living fine. Yeah. So now they're just making more money, living the exact same, that they were fine living with. It's not that they were unhappy. They said, this is a, this is a standard of living I'm fine with as a corporal or a sergeant. Now they're, now they're a staff sergeant, now they're a gunny. And so all that extra money they they do whatever they want with hopefully save right save or invest in real yeah. estate but you're right they were able to dial down their expenses and be comfortable where they were at and then now they're just reaping the rewards because they're making more money and that's just more money now that they can throw it if they have debt that they need to get rid of or if they want to invest in real estate and they're just you know you hear about these guys many marines with whom i've served who've done that and they're just they're, they're way ahead of their peers exactly yeah and I mean, I mean, just think about it last year, just literally just going into TSP on the 1st of January and going, oh, we got a 2% raise and like, I, you know, and, and granted, I'm not going to do that this year because I'm trying to, um, while I'm waiting on my house to flip, I'm going to continue to dump everything back into paying off the little bit of debt that I pulled out to do that. So, you know, I, I felt, and this is not the right way to do it. I was the guy who went credit card for repairs, mm -hmm. um, but it was supposed to be a three month flip. So. And again, it's sustainable. I can still make all my payments. It's not like anything that's gonna bankrupt me, but I don't like paying the interest on it. So I'm just shoveling money in to pay that down now. And then once the house flips, I'll dump the excess into, you know, whatever. It there you go. Then I'll up my TSP again, up everything again, but whatever. Yeah. In all the wrong way, you know, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> well, you thought it was gonna be a three month flip though. Yeah, yeah, I should have been on number two. I should be almost done with number two right now. Um, okay, so we touched on young service members but what uh what do you think makes your style of investing like unique or successful like how is it that because i think it's unique that you're able to go long distance i guess i would just ask if you had anything that you think is unique or or is it just like this just how i've always done it i don't know i think it's a bit unique that i'm that i self-manage properties especially from so far i'm by no means am i the only person that does this but i think that is a, a unique quality that by default makes me a little bit more successful only because I'm not paying property management fees. Yeah. I'm not unique. I am average and I have a simple but repeatable process of buying long-term buy and holds that makes sense. And what I'd like to express, especially to those NCOs and below out there is, is it is simple and repeatable process. What I do, it is very math for Marines. This is incredibly easy and you will know right off the bat, I don't even wanna say whether you can do it or not because you always can do it, just what will it take to do it? So you'll know by running the numbers that it's gonna take a 20% or 30% or 40% down or whatever. You can play with the numbers and so many calculators out there that you'll know exactly what it takes to make it happen. I'm not gonna say you'll know if you can make it or not make it happen. You can make it happen on a private salary, you can make this happen, but you need to be able to just get in there and run the numbers. And so again, it's just a math equation that will tell you for all intents and purposes that this will work, or I need to adjust the numbers to make it work like this. And that's it. It's um, our, our portfolio, our plan is when I think I'm making only X amount of dollars per month, people, some people say, well, you're, you're very under leveraged. Two of my properties, I bought cash. And I know that, that raises red flags to a lot of people. <laughs> but I'll say when my horizon is 20, 30, 40 years with this property, does it make sense? And I would argue that it does. So maybe the 
$1,200 in rent that I'm making gross doesn't seem like it percentage wise, it's very useful because of how much I put down, which was 100%. But there's a break even point. And even for the amount that you put down, and if you have a long enough horizon, it makes sense. And we just have a very, very long horizon. And so it makes sense for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, there's a strategy for everyone. And I think, uh, you know, I think ideally, like at least having some of your homes owned in cash as time goes on is, is smart. I mean, it gives you, you know, if like the end of the world happens, you can pull some equity and not have to fall, you know, whatever, you've got a safety net. So. Or if all, all your homes go vacant. What if all my properties went vacant simultaneously? I, I think I'm pretty good at filling vacancies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my track record shows, but you're gonna have those carrying costs. And can I sustain that? Can I sustain that for a month? Can I sustain it for a year? How long can I sustain that? I never wanted to be in a position where if all my properties went vacant, I couldn't even cover the cost for a month. Then you're starting to sacrifice things like the quality of your tenant or the price of rent. You're dropping and dropping and it raced to the bottom to just get somebody in there. And I never wanted to be in a position where I had to make those sacrifices on account of I couldn't pay for my home going home or homes going vacant. And so that was a bit of a litmus test, you know? And I know I know that eventually you're gonna get there unless you're buying all your homes cash, but you can stave that off, in my view, by lowering your leverage. And I know some people they want 90, 95% leverage. I get that. And if that fits in your plan, mine was more about risk mitigation, lower leverage. And so my on paper returns percentage wise compared to what I put down may not seem too juicy to other investors, but that's not, you know, that's yeah, not their plan. You have less, less risk for sure. So I'm the over leverage. <laughs> not on everything. I mean, I bought the flip in cash. That's right. Know? I mean, that was only 12 grand, so that doesn't really count, but. Um, I've, I've made some, some decent purchases, but yeah, like my 10 unit, less than 6% down. Right? right. But I think part of that is a necessity thing too. Like if we're being realistic here, I was a sergeant at the time. Bootstrapping is all I got. If I'm there trying you to go. do a 10 unit, I'm not paying. I don't, there's no way. And I, you can save a lot of money, but for me as a young sergeant, cause I got promoted somewhat quick. Like even if I had saved 80% of my income, I wouldn't have had enough to buy that thing in cash by then. There's just, I didn't get paid enough. Right. So what's the option? Don't do it or do this. <laughs> I'm going for there it. There you go. So, you know, um, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with either strategy. They're both great. It's just what fits your, you know, what fits your ability. So your preference, uh, what resources, like I always like to ask this when, if someone was to ask you about real estate investing, like what kind of resource book, course, website, whatever would you recommend? Where would you point someone? All right, so first, before they read anything about real estate, I'm gonna point them to an article in a magazine that uh, was in, it was in Men's Health in March of 2010, okay? And it, it, it's got, like we talked about clickbaity titles. It's got a clickbaity title and it's called Why Men Fail, but I think they only put that because it was in Men's Fitness. It could be Why People Fail. And it talks all about cynicism and it talks about your mentality. And I think taking a step back, your mindset is a huge determinant of your future. Positive mental attitude, as hokey as it sounds, is, is probably the number one thing that I try to impress upon my Marines. You have to have a positive mental attitude. It's not always gonna go right for you, but that's no, that's, it's not. It's not, and you've, deal, you've been dealing with some unique circumstances in, in your new duty station with, with um, leadership. And I think that that's indicative of going to new units and dealing with new Marines and so on and so forth. But how you react to that will determine your future. I truly believe that. And I've always just held a belief that things were gonna be all right and have that positive mental attitude. Real estate is no, being successful in real estate is no different. If you go into it thinking you're gonna lose your butt and you're gonna become broke and there's no deals and you don't have time and you don't have money, then you know what? You're gonna lose your butt, you're gonna go broke and there are gonna be no deals, you're never gonna have time and you're never gonna have the money. Those are all, a lot of them may be true at face value, but even if they are true, do not use that as an excuse. And the reason why I love the, the article 
because you're, you brought this as a clipping. You're going to be, thank you. And you can borrow it if you want. Um, <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to know exactly what this alludes to, although it's not talking about our culture. Uh, he talks about cynics and he says, cynics are brambles, quicksand and snot. They ply their drug one-on-one. -on -one. Come on, let's sit here and be cynical together. It feels good to stay angry and to stay in one place forever. And, and he calls it, if I can excuse my French, but he calls it a bitch spiral, which occurs when like-minded people get together and complain with such intensity that every slight against them becomes a gigantic conspiracy. <laughs> How many times have you been around the smoke pit and one person, and I like, I like, the, I like the, the imagery of a, of a spiral because one person starts it off about, it could be about anything, and then here it goes, right? And, and I realized very quickly that that is just so caustic to success that first, you know, I just separate myself from that, but now I even try to go a step further and, and break, just break that up, you know? Because yeah, just, hey, it's, people say, well, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist, but the realism you're choosing, right? You're choosing to ascribe to is pessimistic in nature. Just call it what it is. Yeah. I think that I'm a realist and, and, and I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I'm charismatic. I think that things are going to be okay no matter what comes. So first I would say just read this little four page article if you could find it online. And, and that just goes to change your mindset. And then Interestingly enough, I'm probably your only guest that has never read uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Ooh, we're gonna so, have to delete this whole. Yes, yeah. So I'm never, I'm never read that. It's up on my shelf. I'll give it to you. <laughs> okay, there we go. I will read it. But so I will say um, the book on rental property investing yeah. by Brandon Turner. Right. That was the second book I ever read. Really? Let me rephrase that. Second book I read about real estate after Rich Dad. Poor Rich Dad Poor Dad. Not the second. Book yeah, I ever that you ever read. I had read other so, books. Yeah, it took me to my Not late twenties to to read my first book. Um, it's a, it's kind of one of those break the mold type books. It gives you a, it gives you, it, it touches on everything. And that's what I loved about it. And it gives real world examples and real life examples. And there's just so much goodness in there. It's one of those that you read one time through. And then I know what you like to do is you go back and read your highlights. But I would say just, cause I highlight books too, but I would just say, go back and read it again and then read it again. I've read it. I've read it cover to cover probably twice. And then my highlights, I've probably referenced at least 20 or 30 times because it even goes down into breaking down how to do a CapEx budget. I mean, something so detailed where it says, takes the shelf life on everything that has a finite life in your house from your roof to your dishwasher, breaks it down. How much does the average one cost? How much of a lifespan will you get out of it? Well, this is how much you need to be socking away every month. And there is just so much in that book that, it, yeah, you, you would be remiss if you did not read that book. So, and then if, if you're looking sort of more at the financial independence, I would just say Set for Life by Scott Trench. Yeah. Again, one of those books. I, I think there's few books that I've ever read, probably three. Uh, and Brandon Turner's book is not one of them that have completely caused me to shift my entire life. And Set for Life was one of them. So I think the first one was Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Um, so I never read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but I think getting me right thinking about money was Dave Ramsey, Total Money Makeover. And then uh, the second one was not financial or real estate related. And then the third one, Set for Life. Um, Set for Life by Scott Trench blew me away. I knew about Mad Scientist. I knew about uh, Mr. Money Mustache. And I read a, a little bit of them, but the way that, the, the way that he the chronology of that book and again, math for Marines, he said, Hey, this is how you're going to get your first 25,000. And then this is how you're going to operationalize it and so on and so on and so on. And it's not a real estate book. And he tells you that it's not a real estate book. Yeah. Um, that, that, that book, even, even if, if you're in wanting to get into real estate or not set for life, you got to read too. So those, those would be my three recommendations. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll find that article online and I'll link to it, but then the other two I'll obviously throw in there. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, those are all great recommendations. And it's funny you mentioned the cynicism. So it hasn't aired yet, so you haven't seen it on YouTube. But before this comes out, it's already scheduled. Before this podcast airs, uh, there will be a video on one of my like Wednesday new Angry Marine rants where right. I am basically screaming about crabs in a bucket because it's it's all about that cynicism. So for those of you who haven't hmm. seen that video, the reason for that is 
you never need to put a lid on crabs when they're in a bucket. And the theory is that the reason you don't ever put a lid on crabs in a bucket, obviously you can, but is because you don't need to. When one starts to climb its way out, all the rest of the crabs in the bucket will pull it back down. Uh, and that is like the perfect metaphor for exactly what you're saying. It's yeah, like just that's the great. Like, oh yeah, well, you know, it's like, oh man, we just kill each other over this. Absolutely we do. And it's like, it's the I can'ts. Well, I can't do real estate. I don't make enough money. Well, I can't do real estate. I don't have enough time. I can't do real estate. My family doesn't back me. And perhaps all those things are true. So what? You need to change that then. Change it. Everybody has time. Saying I can't, I don't have time is just saying you don't want to put enough effort into doing it. Yeah. What's saying I don't have money means that you're not saving enough. You know, say, saying that your family doesn't back you, and this is mentioned in Brandon Turner's book, is you've just not pitched it, if you will, in such a way to get your spouse on board. Uh, and I ran into that initially when I was investing in real estate. The way that I was describing what I was doing and why I was doing it did not fit squarely with my wife's values. And I took, I, I could have taken the page right out of his book on how he spoke to Heather about it. And I did the same thing with my wife. And after that conversation, she's like, I'm 100% on board. I'm with you. Awesome. But I didn't, I wasn't wallowing in my own crap, right? right it's not, you, it you figure it out. And you're, you're absolutely, the crabs in a bucket is so great because you can get caught in that. You can oh, yeah. get caught in that and you can find yourself doing that. One of your buddies is becoming successful and then you're MFing him about <laughs> what, about his success. Yeah. And it's like, how does that happen? This is your friend. You should be propping him up and you should be congratulating him, you know? Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. Even uh, yesterday, you saw you mentioned I posted the video about the proposed pay raise and I have comments on there about, well, it will make up for how much my BAH went down, which... My first thing, I was like, well, first off, you're thinking about it wrong. And second, you're uninformed because there's BAH rate protection and you can't lose money on your BAH while you live in that duty station. But uh, it was just funny. Like, people are just like, and other people are like, oh, well, your pay is still crap. I'm like, oh, my God. See, and I don't know. Why are you doing this? I don't understand that because I read that link and I immediately celebrated. Yeah. I mean, I, I, read, I read the link and then the, the, what you uh, linked to. No matter what you think about our pay, how could you possibly be upset about a pay and That's rate? exactly <laughs> right. And that's just a mindset thing. I mean, I read that and I'm like, holy cow. And then I, I took what the defense, the proposed defense pay chart was and compared it to what I was currently making and did a little bit of mental math. I'm like, wow, this would be great, you know, but. Extra like, hundred bucks or whatever. There you go. Yeah, it, it, this would be fantastic. And it's, it's your mindset. It's your mindset. It's your outlook. Awesome. Well, where can uh, where can people get a hold of you if they got questions? Yeah. So I, I don't have a website. I don't run a business. So I would just say email, and it's a uh, Seabreeze Real Estate. So S E A B R E E Z E Real Estate at gmail.com. And listen, Dave, I'm here as a resource. Um, I have had a couple pretty good mentors that I can call and ask questions about, not necessarily real estate related. And the, the least that I can do is pay that forward. So if people just have general questions about real estate or about anything really, especially those in the military, we, we have to help our own. And that's the reason why every duty station that I've been at, I make my Marines sit through a class that I give on financial fitness. It's two hours long. I try to make it funny and, 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 um, you know, applicable to their generation, but they, they gotta, they gotta suffer through it because we have to help each other. And, uh, and so, yeah, if anybody has any questions about anything, they can feel free to, to email me and, and begin a dialogue. I can guarantee you I'll get back to you. And, and no matter what it's about, even if you want to talk mindset and how to break the mold of all your friends who have just, they do that bitch spiral and you just caught up, get caught yeah. up in it. Um, you can get a hold of me there and we can we can talk for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. Literally Dave. joining me. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> it's it's been an honor and a pleasure, man. I'm humbled that you would invite me on and and allow me to share this space with you and I would just say please continue what you're doing. You're 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 carving out a path for guys that have no direction and it's about getting them to listen to what you're saying and whether they apply it or not, at least then they have the information, right? And so I try to do my part when people talk about real estate. I tell them, "Hey, this is what I this is what I've done, but 
go here if you want a wealth of information in the form of videos, podcasts, and, and articles, and blogs. Uh, and I hope that, you know, of the umpteenth Marine that I've told to, to head your direction, I hope a few have, but please continue because it's needed, man. I appreciate that. And uh, since this is going to be the first one of the year, I hope you guys crush 2020. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.